0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are rolling right along on Hot Mic with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back next week. Meryl Hodge, our guest co-host in studio with us in our downtown Nashville studio, 6th and Peabody, Old Smoky Moonshine. Yeehaw Beer, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button, if you're watching anywhere on social media, we thank you, if you're listening on one of our fine radio affiliates, we appreciate you as well, having a lot of fun today on this Wednesday, coming back from a long 4th of July weekend, plenty to get into, including Michael Jordan uh, admitting that he is disappointed in his son dating the ex of his ex sidekick. Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, Larsa Pippen, of course now in an infamous relationship uh, with Marcus Jordan, Michael Jordan's son, bringing up a lot of weird thoughts and weird feelings. And apparently TMZ, or the paparazzi in some way, approached Michael Jordan about it outside of a restaurant in Paris. And uh, Michael said that he does, in fact, disapproves of the relationship. One reporter asked MJ if he approves of his son being with Larsa Pippen and he shouts back, "No!" Thus ending the debate on whether or not Michael's happy about this because Scotty said some mean things about him in his playing days. Uh, Meryl, the whole situation's just very, very odd. <laughs> Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, no. Oh, uh, the, yeah, you're, you're co-hosting the show. You get to comment on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. that's the great part about Love this
1: stuff like this, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, you got, don't care. You're well, saying well. Well, honestly, stuff like this, I really don't care. I yeah. mean, it's relevant. I get, um, didn't you say Michael Jordan said this is odd? He said, It'd well, weird. I, That would saying, feel weird. I'm just telling you, that would just feel. I'm saying it's odd. Weird and be odd. I completely. Yep. What's the age difference?
0: Uh, not that that's a really big
1: deal, but what is it? It's not difference? as bad I don't, I don't as know I all this I want
0: to say it's like 15 years, 14 years. I, I thought it was much worse. Um, The other story to talk about is Tiger Woods finally speaking on the PGA Tour live merger. Uh, That is the headline and OutKick. The only problem is I don't know that Tiger Woods said anything other than uh, he tweeted, in response to the Talking Points memo released this weekend, I have never seen this document until today, and I did not attend the players' meeting, meeting for which it was prepared at the 2022 Travelers. Uh, That is Michael Jordan not addressing, or sorry, not Michael Jordan, Tiger Tiger Woods. Woods. The Michael Jordan of basketball, the Tiger Woods of golf. Michael Jordan not addressing the Live PGA merger. You know what that is? That's Tiger Woods spoke. Yeah, I mean, I. uh, Tiger Woods spoke. Also, what what is he going to say? Like everyone that just dug their heels in. Right. And we're anti Live Tour and pro PGA and rah rah, and they flew the flag of PGA Tour. Now they have to embrace it. Well, now the, the PGA Tour just said, well, we need the money or we're going to go under. I mean, there's, I, I don't know what Tiger Woods could say. Yeah. You know, I, there's really nothing. I'd like for him to release a statement, Merrill, just saying, you know, there's nothing I can really say about this because it's not my decision. And I, like Rory McElroy, said everything I was told to say by the PGA Tour. And I believed it at the time. But now I don't know what's true and what's not because apparently it's okay to partner with the private investment fund of Saudi Arabia right. and make all this money and take all this money for the PGA Tour. Yeah, well, but I think one
1: thing about this. I mean, all these golfers, for the most part, regardless of going over to live or not, I mean, still are friends. You know, probably what that says right there, Tiger's like, well, I should have went to live because – I'd have got more money than everyone that went over to live and we'd just be right back to where we were. Because yeah, the people who didn't go to live, just think about the people who didn't go to live. Uh, it, they just cost did, themselves
0: money. Yes. I mean, now, you went, the end, now you
1: went to live, you talk about a business move. Yeah. it's a great business move. You know, and listen, from a sporting perspective, I get why those golfers went to live. If it was, let's just say there's some other league like the NFL that can compete like the NFL and pay like
0: the NFL, even more than the NFL.
1: You're telling me players aren't going to leave? In a harpy.
0: In a harpy. And, you know, when you really look into it, and there was this, you know, morality about it, well, um, look at their human rights record, look at 9-11, and look at this and that. And then when you really start to look into it, you see the tentacles of the private investment fund and all the different businesses, the American-owned businesses that they have their hands in as investors. You look at... International soccer, Formula One Racing. Yeah. Uh, they own Newcastle of the English Premier League. Correct. So there's a lot of sports right. out there that they're gonna be involved in, that they're gonna pay their way into. So I agree, Merrill. I think if they decided to say, hey, the first off, the NFL does not need it, obviously. No, no, but I'm if they not, came in and saying, said I'm, we're I'm, gonna we're gonna put this much more money into it. They're gonna get more and more involved, and in but I think it's more international sports, not just something played in one country. Right. Well, yes, when it, when like it all golf.
1: happened, when it all happened, what I didn't understand or what I thought is that if you went to live, you couldn't play in any PGA event, which is honestly, which is which what they shoot. claimed in the right. beginning. Yeah, but the the four majors are not part of that, right? Which I did not know, and so I'm like, oh, it's a no brainer then. You know, you're grinding somewhere yep. else, and they're gonna quadruple what you are making to go over there and, play. and you can just play in the four biggest events that matter anyway to you crazy not to but i i interpret that as tiger would say i should have taken live money and went over there because we'd be right, be back here um all working together not that he needs I, it i, I completely mean, you know, I mean he, he didn't have to obviously he's the one guy that didn't need it or didn't have to do it but
0: well, he got offered more money than anyone. Oh, I'm too. sure. So, oh, he, I'm sure,
1: <laughs> With, without a
0: doubt. Look, he's uh, you know, he's a he's a billionaire or close to it. But it's a lot of money left on the table mm. that a lot of those guys no are doubt. scratching their head. John Romm's another one, especially late in the game, was considering leaving yeah. for a ton of money. They got to be thinking, why? Why did I turn why? down this money right, right, only right. for us to be seated at the same exact table now and participating in all the same events? Yep. And everything's forgotten. Um, it's got to be frustrating. So, Merrill Hodge, longtime uh, ESPN analyst, football analyst. Merrill, one of your favorite sayings, one of the favorite things to talk about. You, as an NFL running back, know a thing or two about this factor backs. Yeah. Love, so when we talk, when we talk factor backs, <laughs> right. and we're looking at today's NFL. What are we talking about? What, well, how, would, how would Merrill Hodge define factor
1: backs? Okay, well, well this is actually how it came about. Um, one of my first meetings ever, uh, well, let's put it this way. When I, was in, when I was playing in the NFL, we had one of the greatest position coaches in NFL history, Dick Hoke. Okay? Dick Hoke, coached Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer. He played for the studios for 10 years, coached for 40. Um, but every week he would walk in and he'd say, all right, guys, this week we've got to be a factor in the passing game. Right? That would be our emphasis that week. Next week, it would come in, and, boy, boy, we have a blitzing team. We're going to to be real key factors in blitz pickup. And every week would be a different scenario, you know. Um, and I, I was like, man, we have, we're not running backs. We're factor backs because every, every week we're a factor in something. That's how it came about. So, ultimately, that means you've got to do a lot of things, you know, and the more you can do, um, the better you help your football team. But you can't just be a runner. You have to do other things. On, and now a couple of these guys in the AFC may be viewed as just particular runners, but they actually do more for their team than that. Um, and, and in fact, all three of them, you know, have some type of, of role. And actually it ends up being almost four in the AFC. There's three, three A and three B. You've
0: got four but, four AFC running yeah. backs we're going to discuss. Three in the NFC. Yeah. So. Um, we're gonna are we gonna count down three two one? Okay, on this so right. three. So we'll do. You know, so number no, two- number three in the AFC, Merrill. Let's let's start there. And number three in the AFC is Cleveland's Nick Chubb. Oh, no? no, no. Okay, okay. It, actually, that's, we got three
1: A, three yeah, B. have got. Is, we got it in okay.
0: one order. Here. I got it now. Yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh's Najee Harris is number three. Yeah, and three A and um, Travis Etienne. We got three, a tie for three B. Third. And, yeah. and
1: and and really, these guys, you know. First of all, Najee Harris, his rookie year, he played like every down, first and second, third down. I can't even tell you how hard that is just from an overall concept of being a blitz pick. Uh, Somebody's got to pick up blitzes in third down. That's very hard for a rookie to do and conceptually gather that, put your – wraps your head around that. Travis Etienne got hurt. But last year, both of these guys, and the reason I put them at 3A and 3B, is I think that they have – like this year – can be their the real breakout year. Neither one of them had a a real – Najee's rookie was outstanding, but his second year wasn't as good. I think this year he has a chance to really be absolutely dynamic in a lot of ways. Um, and so do I think Travis Etienne. I mean, Travis Etienne, when he came out of Clemson, and I, I just think he's a special runner, and he can do so many things in the passing game, as Najee can, um, that creates a lot of problems with, you know – NFL defenses, and that's what the NFL is about is matchups. How many times can we move people around, create matchups? And I think both guys, you know, will hit their stride this year, have a chance to be really explosive and dynamic. All the potential has been there. There's been sparks and glimmers. But I think this year, both of them really get – you see the full potential with both guys.
0: Yeah, and when I think of Najee Harris, I see both, you know, both runner and pass catcher out of the backfield. I think Travis Etienne. I think a little bit more pass catcher and being a factor in that part of the game. He's a little more dynamic right? in the passing game. A little bit more wiggle to he, his he, game.
1: Right. A little more elusive. here's where Najee can be great: is that is if he comes becomes a more decisive runner. You know. Now, listen, some of uh, is not his fault. You know, he has not had a lot of help up front. The offensive line has really struggled for the Steelers over the last couple of years. They have started to get better and they have a potential to be very good this year with the people that they've gotten in free agency and even in the draft. And that will help him. What he has to do is just be a, a more decisive runner. That's the key to, in the NFL to be successful as a runner. And then he has enormous skills. I mean, he has his size. I mean, I don't think people appreciate how big Najee is. You know, Najee's like 6'2", 240. Yeah. I mean, and can move. You know, and if he just uses that decis- decisiveness and really homelesses in on that and harnesses that, I think he has a potential this year to be absolutely explosive. And then you mentioned Travis Etienne has just a special wiggle and – little juice about him, um, but his complete versatility give both these guys an opportunity to have dynamic years.
0: Merrill, number two on your list, no one mistakes him for someone that doesn't have a lot of size. Yeah. And he is known as an enormous wrecking ball that can also change the game by going 80, 90 yards in a heartbeat. That is Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. And, it's,
1: you know, Derrick Henry, you know, I talked about the two problems with, or the problem with Najee Harris being decisive. That was actually Derrick Henry's biggest challenge coming out of Alabama, transitioning to the National Football League. The one thing that um, Derrick Henry is not really good at, he doesn't have great agility, start and stop ability. You know, he's not going to be dynamic laterally, vertically, and then be explosive. You know, and I, Eddie George and I were talking about this, and I think it was really Eddie George and Derrick Henry when he leaned on Eddie George, and Eddie said, "Hey, listen, yeah, when you pick a when you pick a lane, hit it." Because you, you don't have the ability to start and stop like in Travis Etienne. But your size and your speed, you will be such a better runner. Once he committed to that and he developed that and he harnessed that and he became – that's when he, he exploded. That's when all those big runs came. And when you look at him having to defend him, that is the ultimate goal for defenses. They're like, okay, how can we get him to stop his feet at the point of attack where they're trying to go with it? If we can't do that, it's going to be the longest – day of the week for us now when teams can do that and very few have been able to do that he is a different runner but you can't do that all the time and that's all you got to do is fall asleep and his ability to hit it and his speed and his overall size um, and really just how he's taking care of himself and the, the consistency that he has had you know like this is the type of career like at this point you're like you might see him fading and I don't think so I think the way he is he is really Trained the way, um, actually, he plays. I I don't see, I didn't see a letdown last year towards the end, and I don't expect to see one this year. I still think he's one of the most most feared runners and feared players in football.
0: You can see a line of demarcation in his career from that meeting with Eddie George on with production, also in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, we'll go quickly with the next ones because we'll yep. have to get the NFC. Number one, Nick Chubb. Yep, I mean Nick. Nick uh, to me has always been just a. A true pro
1: runner. I mean, the second he got in the league, he adapted well. And he's now he is laterally and vertically very dynamic and decisive. And he has the combination. And if you ever want to see like a seasoned, pure seasoned runner, why I got him just above Derrick Henry is because of his lateral and vertical ability, you know, to stop and move and redirect. Um, but his ability to make positive plays and his decisiveness puts him at number one. And um, do not see him declining either. Um, That'll be bad. that'll be good for the league, hard for the AFC, the AFC, but um, good for the Cleveland Browns.
0: Let's move quickly to the NFC number three. I know we do have three. There's no tie for yeah, third yeah. on this one. Number we, three on this list maybe a surprise to some, but not to Merrill Tony Pollard of yeah. the Dallas
1: Cowboys. Was, <clears throat> and and I to me Tony Pollard has just started. You know when they started to finally realize all the things. Like okay, we just talked about Travis Etienne. Okay, he has that. He reminds me of a Travis Etienne. He could play in between the tackles. He's dynamic in the passing game, and they finally leaned on him, but they didn't really lean on him until about week eight, and then they rode him, right? Well, he has – he done not have a lot of wear on those tires. And if the Dallas Cowboys want to move forward and go, well, shoot, in the playoff, as soon as he left, their offense completely fell apart. You know, I mean, I know Dak didn't have the best <laughs> of taste, but I'm going to tell you this, it's because you didn't lean on this guy and have that guy as a weapon. That That, that made a big difference in that game, but – um, he has the abilities of an ETN in all phases of running it, blocking, and the passing game. Number two, Saquon Barkley of the Giants. Yeah, I, I, he was one of the most special – He's was a special runners I've ever seen coming out of college. Um, then his injury set him back. When what we saw last year, the Giants don't get to where they are without Saquon. Um, and he – you talk about a guy who can laterally and vertically move, like almost like a Barry Sanders – um, he does a great job of using that combination, along with being decisive. I use the word decisive because in the NFL, if you want the hash marks are narrow, the game is played in the middle. It's not like the college where you can play on the perimeter. That's why guys like this who have had success playing on the perimeter in college struggle in the NFL a little bit early when they have to learn how you have to play in the NFL. It's played in the middle. That I means getting in the in the lane, hitting it as quick as you can, getting me two yards, three yards, and then eventually get the big one. And with his dynamic skills in the open field, make him... I think this year will be his best year. I think he'll have a better year than he had last year.
0: Merrill, you were on TV for a long time, so you know all about this term, the tease. (laughs) That's what we got. What we're going to tease right now is when we come back, because we are forced to get out in 30 seconds, we will give you the number one Merrill Hodge factor back in the the National Football Football Conference. That's coming up next. Plus... We'll talk hot seat with Merrill Hodge and the factors that lead to a coach being on the hot seat in the NFL. This is Hot Mike with Hutton & Withrow across the Outkick Network. Meryl, you've worked with a lot of people, I'm sure, over the years that multitask. Yeah. You're one of them. I'm sure you've been with Adam Schefter at times, right, where he's like, he always kills me, where he's responding to texts while he's live on air because he's constantly got to be on his phone. Have you ever worked with someone in a segment that is tweeting out their own segment content, YouTube information, while also bringing it back from break? Am I a first for you? Is That the first you, time you've you, seen that you
1: would actually be the first to do that. Yes,
0: good. So good. I needed to make which the I'm never going re- to forget. I, I'm There's never a gonna precedent forget. that's been set. <laughs> this is hot, Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I'm Withrow, Hutton not here. He'll mm-hmm. be back next week. That means Merrill Hodge in studio with us, the great Merrill Hodge, author, longtime NFL analyst on ESPN, former NFL running back, former Idaho State running back. Oh my gosh! How was I'm Idaho trying. State as a? I, I know. Uh, as a program, it's good for its level. Right? No, 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 no,
1: no. It's bad for its level. Oh, okay. okay. I don't think they've had a winning record. And this is, they this were good is, when you were this there, is how though, desperate, right? This is how desperate they've become. They're going to recognize the last team to win the Big Sky Conference, which was in 1983, my rookie year,
0: my freshman year, I guess it's called. Yeah.
1: Freshman year. That's the last winning season they had.
0: And you're going to go back to be honored? That, well,
1: they're going to honor the team. Um, you know, the team's going to come back. Um, I don't know. I schedule wise where I'll if I can. But, See, um, I'm
0: thinking Montana, Montana State, and that rivalry. Which those are really you know, good. Those, programs. those have had
1: great. Pro- well, you really actually, you know, it was in the Big Sky at that time was our rival. Our biggest rival was Boise State. Okay. See, Boise State. was They actually moved on in the to big bigger scout, and better things, and they did a great job of that. Um, I'll give you something. Idaho State is the first to ever have an indoor facility, an indoor dome to play in. Yeah, oh the nice. first first college program to and
0: Idaho plays in one too in Moscow. And right? the University
1: of Idaho does too. Yep. At one time it was I think it's called the W Holt Arena. Um it used to be called the the Mini Dome. We were the Mini Dome, the Idaho State Bengals. And then um University of Idaho was the Kibby Dome. I don't know what their name now. They may still be the Kibby Dome, I just don't remember it. But we were the we were just like uh our colors and everything was just like the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: Well it's uh it's kind of ridiculous, though, that I feel like Idaho gets all the glory for the dome stadium. I've heard of their dome. They, they I've do, seen yeah. it more, and I, I feel like Idaho State's been slighted here, Merrill. Real, you know, if you, if, you if, guys if, were the first. If that's
1: the information you've got. You have been slighted, my friend. Yeah, this is Idaho this is bad. State was the first. And if I am dead He's wrong, misinformation on that, once again. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to hear it, but I believe Idaho State was the first. Um, there is no have a dome.
0: There's no misinformation when it comes to Merrill's factor backs because nope. this is his list. In his list alone and Merrill we had counted down all the way to number one in the NFC before we broke in the last segment but your number one NFC factor back also number one in the NFL yeah. is that right
1: I, I would put him as as number one and I still go back to that factor back being you get to be a factor in all phases of the game and a significant factor in them you know you, you know there's some players that are stronger in the running game than the passing game this guy Is balanced in every aspect of run pass, and that's Christian McCaffrey. Um, When you look at when he came out of Stanford, you know you knew that this is what he was going to be able to do for a team. Whoever whoever grabbed him, I'd go to San Francisco. Going to San Francisco helped his career. They've done a better job of of maximizing um, all his abilities to be factor in the passing game, in the running game, Um, and even you know from a, a blitz perspective and a scheme perspective, he is. He's a dangerous guy. You know, um, they do a good job of how, you know, he's a type of runner. You're not going to – he's not a Derrick Henry in the sense that you're going to run him between the tackles 25 times like Derrick. But you got to be creative with your runs. You can have perimeter-type runs. But there's no run he can't run for you. Um, so, uh, listen, it wouldn't be bad to be all – we're like splitting hairs with most of these guys, really all of them. You know, these, these top seven, six, seven guys are splitting hairs. You know, I, I don't think there's a team in the National Football League that go, nah, I won't take them. I like my – these guys are – It's also,
0: you know, running backs, it's seen as a position that, that for instance, in college, it's one that doesn't take a huge adjustment. Guys can come in as a freshman and make a big impact. Because I think for a lot of people, they say, you know, you hear the coaches talk about, well, blitz pickup, protection issues, those things they have to figure out also. But for the most part, we've seen a lot of running backs come right in and make a huge impact because there's a thought that it doesn't take a lot of understanding. To play well, running back. But how, how big of a factor is that with these guys, Merrill, their understanding of every part of the game, from being a receiver to being a blocker to being a runner to understanding what to do at all times? Well, now
1: to answer your question just from a college perspective, I can see how you, know, you come up and you run counter, you run lead, you run you know, some draw plays. Okay, those conceptually, they probably did a little bit of those in high school. That's not a hard thing. If in college, you know, that's not what the NFL is. But you start asking them to, like, identify fronts, coverages, and blitzes. I mean, that that is – that conceptually, you know, that is not an easy thing to grasp and able to And execute. it's going to be a
0: big step up from high school, okay, what they're it, doing. It
1: goes from first grade math to a doctorate program yep. from college. That's how – that's the difference between college and the national football. You step up there, the overall scheming of things, the execution of things – you know, people always talk about this. You know, the NFL's, you know, the difference is the speed. No, it isn't. The, the, the major difference from college to the NFL is the absolute IQ of the game. The overall schematics of it, um, the strategic planning of it is just superior and mind-boggling over what college does. Now, let's say got 20 hours a week, so that's partly why. Um, but in the NFL – if you can't step up there and, and understand, like every player that plays in national football, like I will tell you this, they have some intelligence to them because you cannot survive long without that. That is probably your biggest weapon. And Then it becomes the quickness of the game. The game is, is so quick and dynamic. Um, and then speed obviously is a factor too. But that, that's the order of, of the challenge of going from college the NFL and that's where players really struggle is just that overall concept of understanding all the things that go on especially if you're going to be a third down guy that's why I mentioned Najee you know to understand protections and who your guy is and then that guy really since I played that role so much you got to be able to adjust if your offensive line makes a mistake you know you can't go oh they made a mistake coach and I go why would you not block the (laughs) guy? he just ran right by you you know you that's not an excuse you can give a coach you got to make up for those mistakes those guys have people in their face you at least have five yards of depth use that to your advantage and a real good one okay? you know Chris McCaffrey does that Tony Pollard does that um you're able to not you're able to adjust for people that make mistakes you know and protect your quarterback and give them another or give them an opportunity to throw the football from a, a blocking perspective and then running routes where well, you got to know the difference between this what type of zone they're in? Are they in man, and when in those different circumstances? That again is not easy. So um, to be able to do that at that level is extraordinary, and it doesn't. Not everybody can do that. All those things. It's hard enough just to run in the National Football League now to run routes and be good there, and then the block. And that's it. You're asking a lot. It's the only position that there's no position that does more than what those guys do for a football team.
0: Merrill, we're going to call the next segment. <clears throat> if I can get if you this if you survive, up. yeah. If uh, <laughs> You're going to carry the rest of the show, actually. Yeah. No. Um, let me get some water. Davey, get up here, baby. <laughs> so Give him a break. We're going to call this segment. It's, it's such a good segment name. It's fire that it, it ruined my voice. Hot mic, hot seat. Okay. okay? When we floated this idea to you, you had a great response as to the contributing angles, everything that goes into a coach being on the hot seat in the NFL. Can you explain what puts you on the hot seat? And it's right. not exactly what people think about. All right. Well, people are like, oh, who's on the hot seat as a coach? i mean, what are you talking
1: about? I go, let me tell you this. Oftentimes, a coach doesn't even have a choice in the shift of an organization. Okay? Ownership could be going, and this, this happens all of the time. Ownership could go, you know what? I'm done with that quarterback. We're going to do this, or we're going to change this, and that's why it hired you. Fix it. Or You know what? You do all of the draft work, you're about ready to make a pick, and they come walking in and go, you know what? Nah, draft this guy because I like him. Okay, I could, we could do a whole two-week show on stories like that. Um, you might have the GM who's within authority, okay? You might not be working well with that GM. That GM just decides, and he's the one that has the authority, we're going to make a shift. Well, at the end of the day, if that shift doesn't work, who's going down? The owner's not going to sell the team. It's, he's not. Yeah, the he's not, not going to fire gonna go, oh, himself. I'm going to quit. I'm, I'm going to fire myself. They're going to. The coach goes down. You know that. That's you know to say a coach is on the hot seat. I just think a perspective has to be played differently. Like this coach, yes, if it doesn't go right because of the shift of the organization, he's probably going to be the guy that goes down. Does that mean he's a bad coach? Absolutely not. It's unfortunately the nature of the beast, but it's not. Now he's got to deal with it, and every coach does deal with it. But oftentimes, it's not his choice. And the guy, the, the five that we have here, I'm not saying that that head coach didn't have a role in it. I'm not saying that. There will be times the coach does have a role in it. He's got to be a part of it. And a good organization, it'll be a collaborative effort. And I've always believed that you let the coach make the decision. Okay, He's the one with them. He's the one coaching with them. He's with them all the <clears throat> time. The GM is not. He's getting – He's the guy who's got to be able to help you. If I need a player, who is that guy? Who's that best available guy? He's not coaching with him. He's not in the meetings. He doesn't have the feel a coach will have. I've always believed a coach should be able to have the final say in players. That being said, that's not always the case. So you have to paint that perspective that when the organization makes a shift and they've decided to do something, if it does not work, it is usually the head coach that's going down.
0: One, well, it's not to say these guys are bad coaches, but there are no. coaches who do bad jobs, right? I mean, that's happened and mismanaged. over the course of football. So no some, sometimes it's their fault. Others' times, there's an atmosphere around it that leads to it. And and that's, I think, well said by you. Number five on your list, hottest seats in the NFL, Robert Sala of the New York Jets. And I think this is the perfect example, Meryl, of what we're discussing in... This is an atmosphere thing. Yeah. This is about what's been added yeah. with Aaron Rodgers this past offseason. Look at And me.
1: expectation now. You made a mistake with Zach Wilson. Now, listen, the two things you got a question. Did they evaluate? First of all, um, Zach Williams, Williams struggled playing. <clears throat> Wilson, yeah. Uh, sorry, Wilson, sorry. Who did I say? Williams weird. You said it right saying? the first time. Then Zach. you said Williams anyway, the second time. Yeah, you got yeah, it right the first I, time. I, and, I, and listen, Zach lived, played at BYU, played, lived with my son, sign. So I know Zach. I mean, And But this was the problem with Zach's three years. Any one game where they got pressure and he had to play in a dirty pocket, he was an absolute wreck. He lost every game, Utah game, the Washington game, the Toledo game, um, the Hawaii game. I could go on. Okay, he could not play well in a dirty pocket. Well, the National Football League is all about a dirty pocket. (laughs) Well, he hasn't played like that. So, obviously, okay, they made a mistake. He couldn't transition to the National Football League. They go get – Still, one of the best quarterbacks in all of football, Aaron Rodgers. Now, you, when you do that, you, you didn't get him to have a winning record. You didn't even get him to make it to the playoffs. You get him to knock on the door of the Super Bowl. Period. And then that is now that is that's a lot of that, that's it's a lot giant of expectation ass for that franchise. Right yeah. now, listen defensively they they are they are kind of close. You know the runner that got hurt. His name's escaping me. The kid from Iowa, Brees Hall. I mean that. Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State. Dang, that guy. I am telling you is when he came out. I mean, and he transitioned well. I mean, now hopefully he'll be back. You know, I mean, on his injury, and he'll be able to be what he was when he he left. Um, which that takes a while with that injury. That being said, with Aaron Rodgers to play the position like it needs to be played in this league, we already know he can do that. But you still got to play with all of these new pieces and I just don't think people can you know I I went from Pittsburgh to Chicago so I know what it's like to be a free agent and just because you play in the NFL doesn't mean well I'll just go over to Chicago and I'll play like I did in Pittsburgh there's this chemistry and you got to learn with your new players you got to grow with your new players and your teammates and that that could take two years sometimes no, listen. I think you know. Yeah. Peyton Manning's one, one. Dallas. I mean, uh, Tom Brady's one. Peyton won, Manning Mike was I'm year interested. two.
0: Had a great record year one with the okay, Broncos. Two years, but it's you know, yeah. There, there's so, some examples, but not many.
1: Is, right. It's been okay. It's been done, but that would be the expectation because it has been done and it been done that quickly. That that's what's going to be expected. Now, if it doesn't, let's just say they're eight and nine, or because it's now it's not no longer eight and eight. You know, it's eight and nine. They don't make the playoffs, or they just don't make the playoffs. Uh, who's going down? It's the coach, Papa Sala.
0: Yeah, you know. Let's uh, we'll we'll get to the top three in the next segment. Number four, though, this one surprised me. John Harbaugh of the Ravens. Why? They made a shift.
1: Now, listen. The, the shift – listen. When you change offensive coordinators and you change, you gonna okay. You got new learning for everybody, including your quarterback. Okay, your quarterback hasn't played an entire season in three years. Okay, the shift you are making. Now, even though I like the coordinator, and I th- I think that if if I have studied him right, if his, I mean his his track history has a history of adapting to personnel, but if you try to make Lamar Jackson something, he's not. He's not a typical pro-style quarterback. That's not me saying it. It's what the Ravens have been saying based on how they line up and how they play every week that Lamar Jackson has been the starting quarterback. They have power formations, two tight ends, two backs. They do hard run action, they do play action, they do RPO action, and he throws the ball well off of that. There's a reason they don't go five wide, two by two sets. That's not his strength. And he struggles in that environment, processing it and accuracy from that. That's the evidence of it. If you go into this and that's how you're going to ask him to play more like that versus what you had, and it's hard. And it's, it's, a, it's a daunting ask too. This is not easy. Anytime you get yeah. new learning, one of the greatest things that every quarterback and any position say, you, when you have a system that's working for you, to stay with it and just grow within it. Once you start shifting, is when the problems come. So that shift alone is going to be a big concern in in Baltimore. Can they all handle it? And all the new people that they brought? We'll in, We'll count too.
0: them down three to one. Hot Mike, hot seat. When We come back. Plus Joey Chestnut. Bad weekend for him. That's next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton Westbrook. Final segment of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us next week. Merrill Hodge, kind enough to fill in for Hutton today, doing a great job. It's been fun. Merrill looked over during the break and said, oh, it's already the final segment. That was fast. (laughs) That's what we want. That's the goal every day, make it as fast as possible, make it as enjoyable as possible for everyone watching, listening on our radio network. However you consume the show, we hope that it goes by fast for you. And uh, Speaking of something going by fast and some great news to rejoice with here in this final segment, Foster Moreau, who was former Raider tight end, now a New Orleans Saints tight end, 26 years old, during a physical on a free agency visit to New Orleans, they discovered that the 26-year-old had Hodgkin lymphoma. And he tweeted this past week, very recently, After a few tumultuous months, I've been blessed with the news that I am in full remission from Hodgkin lymphoma. I'm so grateful to everyone who reached out to offer their love and support. Our prayers were answered. From here, I will continue to live my life as God intended. Um, Great news, Merrill, on Foster Moreau. I know something you know a lot about. Um, He's he's in full remission uh, right now, but... Uh, the challenge now is getting the body ready to play professional football.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Chad, I, had, I was diagnosed 20 years ago, um, over, a, little over 21, over, a little over 20 years ago. Um, and, I, and it's almost like yesterday in some ways. Um, having, I don't know exactly what treatment he went through. I mean, that, that does play a role in, you know, how quickly he can recover because there is a certain price you pay when you go through. Like I went through brutal chemotherapy for like a year, year and a half. Um, it sounds like his treatment wasn't that brutal, which is a, a testament to um, identifying it early. That's the one of the most important aspects: being in great health um, and ad- identifying things early. Which he has both of those going for him. So it seems like it was a a quick process, being in remission that quick, because it just just happened in the off season, right? Yeah, and that's that's a pretty quick turnaround. But couldn't be happier for. Really, for him and his family, and the relief of that, I will tell you, is is, it, <laughs> is devastating it is when you hear it. Um, I call it the dark days of diagnosis because it's not just one day, it's many, um, to feel that freedom. Because going through it every day, it's like it, it, it hits you in the face. You don't get a weekend off. There's no time to rest, it feels like. So for him to have that peace and joy and it being able to move into the season is really – uh, should give hope for so many people. It'd give a lot of hope to people.
0: Yeah, great story. The, the timeline is: so in March he had his free agency visit with New Orleans. Okay, they discovered signs of Hodgkin lymphoma, diagnosed with it by May. The team seemingly knew that he was going to recover in time for this season. Mm-hmm. Signed him to a three-year deal worth eleven million dollars, eight million guaranteed. So also cool the Saints to show that that hope in him that things were going to work out and be fine and it looks like they are right now so really good news um
1: and that speaks to the type of treatments that are are available now more than the blood cancer that i'm aware of because that's the kind of cancer i had those targeted therapy treatments you know are less intrusive to the entire body and effective against the actual cancer so um good for him yeah absolutely
0: um hot mic hot seat when we laid out What can lead to a coach in the NFL being on the hot seat? Merrill did that well in the last segment. Number five, Robert Sala of the New York Jets. Number four, John Harbaugh of the Ravens. Again, this is hottest seats. NFL head coaches going into the 2023 season. Merrill, number three on your list, Matt LaFleur of the Green Bay Packers. This one I can totally see because of what feels like the wasted opportunity with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Yeah. And listen, and I'm just going to
1: reiterate, this is about a shift of an organization. I mean, the, the head coach is the guy is the, ends up being the fall guy if it doesn't work. And it's not always his decision or choice. He could have fought it, but he's got to deal with it. Um, and this could be one of those cases, you know, where was LaFour's uh, uh, position on Aaron Rodgers as he's sitting there in that room going, no, don't put me with Love right now. I mean, there, I went back and read my notes when Love was coming out. I've watched him when he was at Utah State. Watched him coming out over the two years he was there. And everybody was blaming the system for his inaccuracy. I'm going to tell you about accuracy. Accuracy travels. I don't care what system you run. If you're accurate, you're accurate. Um, His processing in his second year, much different than his first year. His accuracies and inconsistencies existed in both years. Every time he has played thus far in the National Football League, those two things have reared their ugly head. He's inconsistent processing. He's inconsistent with accuracy. The two most important things to transition as a quarterback in the National Football League, they got to be woven as one processing and accuracy. If you do not have those things working in unison, it is, I've yet to see anybody transition to the National Football League and be successful, and let alone win a championship. So there's no evidence there to say that he will be consistent enough because he's going to have to play like Aaron Rodgers did. When he replaced Brett Favre. That's just the standard. That's the expectation of the fan. And that is all that's been talked about in training camp right now. If he does not do that, again, the Packers aren't selling. <laughs> the GM's not going. Yeah. Your head coach is going to take that Got to have a fall guy you know, at that point. And so, but it'll be, you know, there's a lot, there's an enormous amount of pressure there. Um, but the evidence that we that I have seen to this point does not bode well for the Packers um, having a great year with the. With love.
0: If things go south in Cleveland, it's not going to be Deshaun Watson that gets fired. No. It's not going to be Jimmy Haslam that sells the team, as Merrill has said. It's going to be Kevin Stefanski that takes the blame, and that's why Stefanski with the Browns, number two on the list of hot mic, hot seat for the upcoming NFL season. Merrill, why?
1: Well, you know, I don't know if people calculate, you know, Deshaun Watson doesn't play for almost two and a half years. Right. That's two and a half years. We saw that rust
0: when he started playing at the end of last year, too. But that's two and a half
1: years of seasoning, okay? And he got two and a half years older in that process. I mean, that is a lot of ground lost. Now, I clearly – I mean, his first game against the Texans, he was just an absolute wreck. I mean, he was like, oh, my
0: gosh, I feel bad for him,
1: okay? He really didn't – he got a little better, you know. He um, was
0: skipping rocks in that game. I mean, uh, could not complete easy passes. It was
1: so bad. Now, listen, completely expected. You're not shocked by that. You're like, but you know what? You didn't really see any of his magic or consistency at any point. You saw flashes up, but you never really saw it unwind and get going. So, now, with the offseason and all the work he can do that he couldn't do, um, it'll be an interesting watch this year. I'm just saying, if he can't, <laughs> and it's that sputter sputter player that we got, you know, even when he had some reps and started playing, Um they're not getting rid of Deshaun Watson. They're they're they're, yeah. they're married to him. The investment is definitely there with a guaranteed re, contract. Regardless, you know, um, the first
0: of its kind in NFL history. And, and
1: and and if they do get rid of Stavansky, you know, now you have new learning again. Again, now you got a, a kids going of have to learn their system again. And and you could it could be an absolute train wreck for another five, you know, three or four years there before you get you get it back on the tracks
0: in the same breath. The one guy who can save Stefanski is probably Deshaun Watson. If he goes to bat for him and says, Hey, I love the guy. We're going to get better together. That may end up saving his job. If results on the field aren't great this year. So something to keep in mind, number one on the list, hot mic, hot seat, Merrill, you've got the Las Vegas Raiders and Josh McDaniels. And this is another organization undergoing a change at quarterback.
1: Now this is where there's kind of two folds here. You, you benched a guy that's now with the Saints. Okay, so you're like, you he can't help us. Get rid of you. Okay, where this gets even where it heats up is if Carr now tears it up in New Orleans. Yep. So let's say you know they're they're oh and three Raiders are three. I mean, Saints are three and zero. Raiders are oh and three. And you and you <laughs> you're
0: looking there and saying, what well, we and you, could have you bring this.
1: Jimmy Garoppolo over. Now listen, look, here's been Jimmy's problem. When he came out of college, when he was with the New England Patriots, and it was really his his issues in San Francisco, his ability to p- perform well in the red zone areas and critical moments that that has been Jimmy's biggest problem. In New England, he had that problem every time he played. You got him in scoring territory, you got him in critical moments. He just he struggled, and I, and you can be accurate and good and got a good processor, you know. And then we we talk about growing a quarterback. Okay, that's what the quarterback has to do for you. In critical moments, in critical situations, especially in scoring territory, play your absolute best at critical times. And he has struggled time and time again with that. Now he has all these injuries. So now you've just banked on him. <laughs> and the Raiders are already in flux anyway, you know, with, with stuff that they're doing from an ownership perspective and the consistency there. But the real fuse is gonna be in New Orleans how well he plays if he's playing what better than the guy that you got and your team is not Ooh, playing look it's out. just gonna keep they're gonna keep comparing that and let's say it's about a struggling season Saints do really well are they selling the Raiders is Jimmy Garoppolo going maybe Jimmy Garoppolo goes as well but your head coach is going
0: well and this could be kind of the you know second act and now deeper into the career than Drew Brees but Think about Carr if he goes to New Orleans and sort of reinvents himself and has a great career and wins a ton of games. I mean, it does have that feeling of Chargers drew Brees to Saints drew Brees. I mean, if that happens for Carr, granted, different coaching situation. You don't have Sean Payton there, all all those factors. And Carr is older than Brees was, but it's not going to look good for the previous team, which would be the Raiders. So top five, hot mic, hot seat. Hottest seats for the NFL season, coaching-wise. Number five, Robert Sala of the New York Jets. Number four, John Harbaugh of the Ravens. Three, Matt LaFleur, Green Bay Packers. Number two, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns. Number one, Josh McDaniels of the Las Vegas Raiders. That, according to Merrill Hodge. There you go. There's a top five. Merrill, before we say goodbye, and this has been a, a fun show, appreciate you doing this, I do have to share with you what would be my absolute nightmare. I'm not a fan of these carnival rides or fair rides <laughs> that aren't well-constructed, any type of roller coaster <laughs> so like that. you
1: don't trust the mechanics behind the Don't necessarily
0: trust the mechanics, and yeah. also anything that does anything repetitively, yeah, I will yeah, get sick yeah, on. Yeah. Like if it okay. spins, if it's going up and down one way or the other, I need some movement where I get out of a you know locked position. Speaking of locked positions, uh, riders are stuck upside down for hours on a roller coaster. We have some video of this. Um, I saw this. This was at a Wisconsin County Festival. This happens every year. Doesn't it happen every, every year something crazy you, I, happens. I mean, there's no like horrific things that happen here to anyone, which is good news to pass along. But being stuck for hours in this position upside down. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I can't imagine trying to get down and walk after that. Uh, the The head rush would be amazing. That is scary that, to look that, at. That's
1: right. Fra- Listen, I don't know how healthy that is upside down. I don't even know how long a person, based on the pressure, because yeah, that's dangerous, right? People I mean, passing out. I don't know exactly how the body's built to be upside down for. You said hours, huh? Hours. Wow. Hours. Not good. Yeah. Not I, good. You will not catch me on one of those ever roller coasters. I am not. I will be over on the putt putt. Do you watch the hot dog eating contest, uh, Meryl? You know, I, I saw glimpses of it.
0: So yesterday, they so had the, the women's competition, it, oh. but Joey Chestnut, who wins every year, yeah. no competition could not defend his title he didn't? because um, they, it rained out. They had a, It's all outdoors on Coney Island. Here you see the video of it. And the rain was so torrential that they had to postpone it. It's going to happen later in the day, maybe the next day, but instead, it's, it's canceled. No way. Oh, no. Davey's saying it happened? Yeah. I thought so yeah no they were going to cancel it and that was the rumor that was circulating it's like ah it's not gonna happen but then they made it to where they were able to get it done I just thought it was interesting it's I, I mean, it's not like we're talking about they need a nice field to have this hot dog eating contest. Just move it inside and put up some tables. And, I mean, you got the hot dogs there anyway. That's That was the thing. But, no, jo- uh, John uh, Joey was able to win his 16th Mustard Belt. Yeah, that's what I thought I heard. So it shows how much I how care about you... the uh, hot dog eating right, contest. I didn't right. know that it happened yesterday. Congratulations, right. Joey. <laughs> Where's he rank on your all-time greatest athletes? Uh, hey, I heard, be, listen, behind I every professional baseball, football, basketball player, golfer, all time, behind all of them. How many hot dogs? That's ever do? played a single inning or a single game? I think oh. he did 62 yesterday.
1: Meryl Hodge
0: ranks 4,000 spots higher of all-time greatest athletes than Joey Chestnut. I'm, <laughs> I'm the first to tell you that. Yeah, hey, I appreciate Merrill, it. Meryl, thanks so much, man. Chad, you're a good man. A lot of fun. You did a heck of a This job. is a good, yeah, good time. Appreciate you coming in, filling in today. Um, go read the books that you've written. I say that plural. Uh, Hopefully, we'll I have Meryl back on the show very soon as well. I'd love it. Tons of fun today. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Go Hunting coach them up tonight. Your, your daughter, yeah, got Big a,
1: baseball get banged.
0: Big 8U uh, softball scrimmage tonight. An away scrimmage also. So i got to go ready for that. So what's our steal sign? Um, <laughs> Can they steal? Well, we Can try to get them going early. but right, right. I'll, I'll, What about this? I'll, I'll this, tell you. I'll say after the show. Yeah, it's usually just go. Just, just like, run. At that age, I'd just say just keep going. Hey, Make you hit, hit get the ball, run to the next base. We'll run to the next show tomorrow. This has been Hot Mike with Hunt Withrow.